This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hey there, welcome back. This is Dollars and Change. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. Good morning. And this, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. And I am dancing in my seat. We are having a good time. It's yes, great music. It makes me want to have a margarita. Uh, let's. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Again, we, we always joke on here. It's like, maybe we're just going to be Kathy Lee and Hoda someday just here on we're Dollars and Change. We're inching closer. But I, you know, we've had a great show. We've been talking about um, what's been happening inside the company. How can you affect your company culture, engage employees, so that it has an effect on their lives outside of the workplace, too? So not just driving the bottom line. Of course, there's a business case. Mm-hmm. But also, really, how does it affect their, their lives outside of the, the business? And so it's exciting to move to our next guest. Uh, I'd love to welcome Dean Carter, Vice President of Human Resources and Shared Services at Patagonia. Welcome to the show, Dean. Uh, thanks, Nick and Sandy. You bet. And I want to remind our listeners, because, you know, who doesn't want to talk to someone from Patagonia? We love our fleeces. <laughs> yes. um, we have some great <laughs> Patagonia fleeces. But if you want to join the conversation and, and learn from Dean, give us a call at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So, Dean, let's just jump right in with with the sort of path that Patagonia has been on, humongous social impact. You know, I think when when folks are asked, you know, who are companies that are doing this well, Patagonia is top of mind consistently. And it often comes from the sustainability side of things. Um, You know, how do you how do you produce and use and um, recycle a product to make sure that it is you know, as gentle to the earth and as sustainable as possible. But what we've been seeing more and more of is Patagonia looking within its own walls to say, how are we the best possible company, not only for the world, but for our employees here? What's powerful about that and interesting about that is that you now have a bunch of competing priorities. Our bottom line is a business, you know, making sure that we're putting a product out that's good for the world. And oh, hey, also, you know, we want to be, you know, best in class around our people. A great place to work. A great place to work. That yeah, is, absolutely. you know, that's no easy feat, balancing those three things. They all come with a cost. <laughs> they all come with, they do. you know, time in the CEO's office and figuring it all out. What makes that tick of Patagonia? What are the strategic priorities? What's the mission that makes you guys work so hard to balance these three things? And how do you do it? No, that's a, such a great question. It's something that we uh, we have conversation about all the time. It's really... I mean, the real gift at Patagonia is the really the incredibly strong mission um, to make the best product, do no unnecessary harm, and use business to inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. And when when you have that, and you have uh, leaders like Rose Macario and um, Avon Chenard and Melinda Chenard who unwaveringly support that, it really does make it pretty easy to understand what you need to do on the people side. Um, and, and of course, it all begins with Yvonne's time, I guess, on the on the side of the wall making pitons. Um, and when you when you make something that someone's life depends on it, um, so you, you understand the importance of making the absolute best product. And and Yvonne also says you know, our best product is our our people. And um, I know we we haven't told the story as much in terms of um, our culture and our people inside the company. I, I mean, Yvonne describes it a lot in Let My People Go Surfing. <laughs> but uh, we're telling that story a, a lot more lately um, because it's so relevant that you can do good and do well and do the right thing for your people. And it's really founded in the very, very beginning days of Patagonia to um, create an extraordinary company and engage a community who cares about the same things. 
I bet a lot of the business leaders who are listening sort of rolled their, their eyes just then, like, oh, God, are, are, are all of our employees now going to be like, Can everyone in Patagonia gets to go surfing, <laughs> right? So and it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a gamble to take, right? The, well, and the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but as right you know, as you're setting those norms, the first actors we always call them they're sort of de-risking the space, right? They're saying right. we believe our employees will stay, be better, be more engaged, be more yeah. stable if they have this balance or health or whatever. You bet. But you're the ones who are going to be doing it first and tracking the metrics and saying, is that true? This is our hypothesis. What have you seen? You know, when you let your employees go surfing, when you support <laughs> maternity leave policies. Maybe yeah. they're surfing then too. You know, how do you, what do you see that makes it worthwhile to you as a business operator? You know, I've, uh, I've been doing, uh, or the head of HR for a variety of various different companies over time with Fossil and Sears, and uh, now my time at Patagonia. And, and I've seen um, companies that really lean in to culture and doing the right thing, and, and um, those that do that less. And uh, in, in a company like Patagonia, you need to get results like, in uh, turnover numbers that are half the industry level or even in the corporate office at 4%. I'll hear companies from Silicon Valley talk about, yeah, we have incredibly low turnover at 10%. I'm thinking, wow, ours is 4%, and it's been that level for you know 30 years. And that is just us. for those who are not in the space, I mean, that is just incredibly low, 4% turnover. Well, and Dean, is there a monetary – I mean, I know it will shift from company to oh. company, but is there a monetary value between that 4 and 10%? Oh, there's huge monetary value. So if you think about um, my other role as part of VP of HR and shared services, I'm the uh, finance is uh, reports to me as well. So I'm very familiar with our and responsible. That's for great. I always think that's a great union and roles. <laughs> it is actually, and it and it was a really clear message I think inside the company that mm-hmm. we're putting these two things together to make sure that you know our money and people are aligned. But I can tell you our SGNA um, is as healthy as any company's. SGNA I've, I've ever seen. And then um, at a time when you see retail shrinking and um, and certainly even in the outdoor industry, you know, some contraction of, of the industry, you know, Patagonia having year-on-year double-digit growth um, really says a lot to both the top line and our ability to do the right thing for employees and drive an SGA that uh, most companies would die to have. Um, and that's really because we don't spend a lot of money on recruiters and replacing our employees. We don't spend, have to spend a ton of money retraining this, you know, uh, high level of turnover that a lot of companies have. Um, and a lot of that's done, you know, on, on the on the front side. We make sure we hire people who are really excited about um, the type of mission that we have at Patagonia. So it really isn't about you know, letting people go surfing. What it really is about is hiring people who love the outdoors and love to surf and are passionate about, you know, saving the ocean. And then when you do that, it isn't about letting my people go surfing. It's like letting them be who they are. It's not, it's not about surfing. It's really about who they are. When you do that, they're deeply engaged every day and they work like heck when they're not surfing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm sure that surfing is sort of like the the sexier, more cool thing to say, but I was like, forget the surfing. They have on-site childcare. (laughs) There's nothing sexier than that. So tell us about like what you've seen, what the measurable impact of some of the innovative programs you've implemented are. You know, on-site childcare is is a great one to mention. You know, Hundred percent of our moms return from maternity leave. That is incredible. Which is it not is the incredible. industry norm. <laughs> the industry norm. Oh, it is. Um, I believe uh, 
only two-thirds return from maternity leave in a normal situation. And the stickiness isn't even that strong. Like a year after, it's not two-thirds. And then the other the other issue, you know, uh, we were asked by the White House to sign on to the Equal Pay Pledge about a year ago. And being new to Patagonia, I said, of course, you know, we're, we're that's something we stand for. But let me let me look at the numbers first. Let me see how we <laughs> right. Good you know, for let's you. Make yep. sure we have gender parity before I say, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> so we uh, I looked at the numbers and did a quick run and um, and after looking at it, we have equal pay at for men and women at Patagonia at every single level. With the exception of the executive level, where uh, women make a little bit more, and uh, <laughs> and full parity at in, in terms of the number of women at every level of management, from line management all the way to the board of directors, we have fifty fifty at fifty vice presidents, fifty directors, fifty percent women on the board. And of course, you know our CEO is a woman, and there's so much conversation around about gender parity. On gender pay parity at the moment, and what I realized after looking at the numbers at Patagonia, if if you have things like paid maternity leave and paternity leave, where men actually take paternity leave, we need more sound effects so I can keep playing like applause music as you talk. <laughs> <laughs> when you, when you do things upstream, then you get the downstream benefits of doing the right thing. Like women do get equal pay when there's equal responsibility for working families, and you support them equally with uh, onsite childcare. Like for women, if they're ner- if they're um, nursing for a child, we'll pay for, and then they have to travel for work and continue to get their work done. We'll pay for a nanny to go with them as well as the child to make sure what? that they can continue to do the work and and uh, have um, someone to take care of their child and they can continue breastfeeding and continue doing the work that they want to do. Incredible. I thought you were going to say, because we've started to see some companies do the um, guaranteed overnight dry ice breast milk shipping. Like if you're a working mom who has to travel, they'll pay for that. But I've never heard of the the nanny. That's incredible. And what I want to point out is is sort of as you're talking about the, you know, the downstream you know impacts. Yeah. You're you're investing on the front end in this talent pool, and what we're seeing right now, especially is like the pay gap conversation is you know a very big yeah. one, and, and we don't need to go into that right now. People are they're they're fixing problems, right? They're going back right. and trying to say now we're throwing a ton of money at bringing in consultants to fix this. We're just you know really cutting big checks to close the gap. Whereas you said, at some point in time, we're going to build on-site childcare and hire some great childcare professionals. And what's that going to cost us? You're now not having to pay the sort of recovery costs of the gaps that that created because at 26, 27, 32, these moms came back to work and stayed. So you have great parity in your workforce. So it's very, very forward thinking. We applaud it. Sandy, that's so on. There's no, it's not, um, uh, it's not a surprise that the pay gap between men and women start at age 27. Men and women are paid pretty much the same from college all the way through age 27. And guess what is the average beginning birth rate for or time for having kids for women is? 27, 27. and nine months, apparently. <laughs> no, it's, it's very, very true. And it's, um, yeah. and it's, a, it's just such a, it's such a powerful inflection point in a career. And if you think about someone's career arc, 27 is not, it's not halfway, right? It's, it's early. No. And if you throw it off then, if the trajectory shifts then, you're going to get that gap. And it's just going to grow stronger and stronger over time. So way to go, Patagonia. Time. That wasn't yeah, a question. Well, <laughs> you know that moment when you have a returning mom and they're at their desk and they're crying? You know, if you, if, I have been that. Just, I have been that person. <laughs> yeah, and, you, and I've seen them. And you walk up and, you know, what, and they're like, I just dropped my child off at daycare. And, I'm, and I 
I don't even know if I should be doing this. Like, should I be home? And moms don't cry at Patagonia. They, <laughs> they don't. They I suggest you replace the surfing motto with that. <laughs> I think that's a more powerful sentiment. <laughs> the new book is Moms Don't Cry at Patagonia. <laughs> We're speaking with Dean Carter, who is the Vice President of Human Resources and Shared Services at Patagonia. I'm worried we're going to have to cut this segment short because we're going to lose Sandy to Patagonia from Wharton here shortly. <laughs> now, we're, we're excited to tell these stories. And that's a good that's a good sort of segue. It would be great if everyone were Patagonia, right? Yeah. But it is a big investment, and it's a strategic decision that, that all of you as senior leaders at the company have chosen to make and chosen to invest in. We do not expect realistically everyone to be able to do a 180 and for this interview or that book to trigger everyone to be able to go out and do these things overnight. So what can companies do to take a step in this direction? What would you encourage they they consider, they look at, or they measure to figure out what policies and practices it would be, from a business perspective, beneficial for them to improve? Yes, it is such a good question. I think it really starts with, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the gift of having a really strong mission statement. And and, and going back a little bit more, really understanding, you know, what is your reason for being in your company? Like, why why are you here? And then understanding what values are really, really important. And when I'm talking about values, not, not like the values that, you know, everyone else has to stick on their wall on the blast, you know, brass plaque. Like, what do you really stand for? Stand for in a way that... If it's uncomfortable or when it comes to the choice where you could either lose business or gain business, you would still stick to this conversation um, and it would still be a value. That's how much you value it. And, um, and, they, and, they, and they say that in, like in a way of if, if, if it's a real value, you're going to lean into it no matter what. And when you stick to it, then those things go all the way through to the bottom line. Um, and then – you know, experiences drive beliefs, beliefs drive behavior, behavior drives results. And so once you set these values, then you have to, as the leader, determine what experiences are you going to deliver for your organization in terms of practices and policies, which drives these beliefs and then behavior and then turn results. A lot of companies go straight to behavior, like what are the behaviors mm-hmm. that matter? But if you're not really driving these experiences, these deep, meaningful experiences through um, real practices and policies, um, then you really don't change beliefs. And in the end, you really don't change behavior when no one's looking. So, Dean, I wanted to ask, you know, we, we started the segment when Sandy was talking about how folks really understand Patagonia from maybe a sustainability lens um, and, yeah. and, you know, their products. And then, of course, what we're talking about with you is how you have really engaged employees, you know, lower turnover, what that means for the bottom yeah. line. Are these practices somehow integrated at the company or it's like you're over people, someone else is over sustainability? And or how do you guys interact, if at all? Wow. We, uh, it is incredibly integrated in every conversation and every decision. We have a really incredibly strong leadership team, and uh, I, I, I spend as much time with the uh, VP of sustainability and environmental activism as I do with our head of sales and retail. Um, for example, one of the things, and we, we really encourage employees to get engaged and involved in the environment, which is why I spend so much time with uh, Lisa Pike. For example, if uh, during a t- you know time like now when we have a lot of employees who want to protest, we do have a uh, a bail policy. If you're arrested while you're peacefully protesting in support of the environment, we will wow. pay for bail and uh, and your time off for court time. And um, 
and we have a lot of employees who are wanting to protest right now. And so I, um, we pay for environmental internships uh, for up to two months of pay time off if you want to um, spend time taking care of sea turtles or protecting Bears Ears National Monument, which is you're, under you're threat right now. You're fulfilling everyone's seven-year-old dream of being a marine biologist for two months. <laughs> But but I I do it. We we really have to integrate everything. It can't be. And I, Nick, I think your 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 point is a good one. Is is this just a thing HR does? And it really isn't. Um, it's something that um, we have conversations about on a regular basis between Yvonne, uh, Chenard, or Rose, or the leadership team to make sure that we're living the values every day um, in terms of our practices. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's highly integrated. And so my follow-up question a little bit around that is, as vice president of both human resources and shared services, you said, you know, you're over the finances as well. Um, has this, uh, ha- has have these practices, both HR and sustainability, have conversations with investors changed, like from investors' relations or anything like that? Well, one of the uh, one of the advantages is we are a private company. Right. Um, so we don't, ha- we don't have the same type of issues. <clears throat> but, 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 but I won't, maybe phrase this a little bit. We are not, um, our values are so important to Patagonia. And uh, Yvonne would say, I'd rather not be in business than, than to not stand for these values. And, and we'll make decisions. You know, um, for example, um, I, I wrote an op-ed recently um, about paid leave and the importance of paid leave and you know, why the U.S. is the only industrialized country in the world that doesn't have paid leave. For it's, it's a great program, great piece. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. And um, when I wrote it, I took it to Rose and I said, Rose, you know, is this okay? And she, she said, Dean, I haven't read it yet, but does it hit hard enough? And uh, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> so I went back and rewrote it and hit a little harder. And we got some, you know, got some love and we got some hate on it. You know, Patagonia, you know, why are you telling us, you know, how we should you know, run public policy? And, and I went back to her, talked to it, and she goes, Dean, if we're not upsetting some people about what we're standing for and what we're doing, then we're not doing the right thing. And uh, we have to be willing to um, walk away from some things in support of our values. And, and I, you know, I think that's the magic of Patagonia. The more we tell people to not buy the jacket and the more we stand for our values, the, um, it seems like the closer we get to our tribe and uh, the, the better our business is. I'm, I'm, you know, Sandy was talking about uh, sound effects earlier. Maybe I've got the praise hand emoji <laughs> going over here. Um, so we're, I look forward to those job openings popping up for both Sandy and, and I coming soon. Stop. <laughs> we get to tell these stories and more people adopt these practices. Exactly. That's, that's fantastic. That's the fun part. Um, I, got a good, I have a good example in that we have 17 summer internships for colleges that uh, we opened up. 17. I cannot we even imagine up, the number of we, we opened that up for three weeks. And in three weeks, we got 3,000 applications, which at a ratio of 17 to 3,000 makes it, you know, more difficult to get a Patagonia internship to get into a lot of, you know, Ivy League universities. Yeah, like it, right. it is, it is uh, that's the power of, of sticking to your brand even when it hurts. Yeah, especially with this, you know, millennial workforce, right? We see it every day with our, you know, yeah. both our MBAs and our undergraduate students. The year, you know, the eras of I'm going to do good for a bunch of years. I'm going to do good work for a bunch of years, and then I'm going to take that money and throw it at some causes I care about is over. And these students right. are really starting to demand an integration of those things. And it's it's crossed my mind on this show. We talked to Shannon Schuyler from PwC, Chief Purpose Officer, talking to you, looking at where 
the impact is positioned within this the org chart you know yeah. is is such a powerful way that the students are sensing that authenticity and really they're asking at, about it in their interviews too mm-hmm. they're not just saying like great I, what's the salary what's you know what, a, what even flexible workspace they're saying yeah. you know how is impact actually integrated into yeah. the the yeah, work right. life can balance can i can i go work with the sea turtles and will yeah. you support that and and these yeah. different things so it is no surprise and at some all companies to us. hate those questions so it's great to hear that patagonia is is responding positively to them yeah absolutely uh, we love them yeah we love them we we love millennials so just uh and certainly, we didn't do any of this. You know, I, I go to HR conferences. And I'm like, "What are you doing to battle the war on talent?" And we see Patagonia is making changes to you know to to win in the war on talent. I'm like, we're we're not doing this to win the war on talent. Although it, it is really helping. Sure, we're, we're doing this because it's the right thing. And, and and that's what I want to tell companies. It's like you don't need to let your people go surfing, or it's not about that. Is when you when you have a, a when you understand your purpose and you understand your meaning and you lean into it in a big way in an authentic way. Then, uh, then that resonates with millennials. What seventy-seven percent want to work for a company that uh, that that means something, and then they want to know that that company lifts it because they're going to hold you responsible for it. They're going to point to your mission statement, and your value statement. They're going to expect you to do it authentically. But uh, yeah, it, um, it it's good to be in a place that. Uh, that, that leans in heavily on, on things that, uh, that matter. Dean, in our last minute here, what, what's next for you guys? It sounds like you already have a lot on your plate. So what, what's the <laughs> next frontier for Patagonia? You know, this is, um, uh, you know, behavior follows, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, money. And uh, um, most millennials say right now, uh, uh, over 75% say that they would change their investment in their 401k fund in more employ, you know, environmental, social, and, and better governance practice funds. Yep. But none of the funds are really set up to make those choices easily. Where's so that the, clapping soundbite again? <laughs> <laughs> so companies like Merrill Lynch and oh, yes! uh, the big investment firms are really leaning into this in the background in a big way to tre- create these ESG funds to, so that 401k providers can do this. But it hasn't caught on with companies. And I think at some point, you know, leaders of HR and finance will wake up and realize, like, you need to start thinking about the funds that you provide in your 401k plans. Yes. And I, I really think this is next. And wow, what a, if all the 401k plans began to have, you know, better ESG yeah, options? Impact investing. Yes. And if we allow that, can then behavior would follow the money. And uh, then we could see some other bigger change. And that is I really have serious goosebumps about what could happen. And uh, I think that's for us. That's, Dean, uh, I, we got to we got to take a take a break here. We got to cut it off. But it, you ticked all of the boxes <laughs> for us. So thank you so much for joining us. That was Dean Carter, vice president of HR and shared services. Thank you to my co-host, Sandy Hunt, all of our listeners. Uh, sound engineer Danielle Bruno, associate producer Dion Simpkins, producer Matt Johnson, program director Patty Hall. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.